Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We've got a big Supreme Court argument coming up this month. Today on the podcast, we're going to get you ready for it and talk about the climate change case that everyone's talking about. Hello and welcome back once again to Parse Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So later this month, the Supreme Court is going to hear the case West Virginia v. EPA, which could ultimately end up changing every aspect of how the federal government regulates greenhouse gas emissions. The case started off as a push to reinstate a Trump administration rule that governs emissions from the power sector. This rule, of course, was meant to replace the Obama administration's version, but both of those measures were ultimately scuttled by the courts in one fashion or another. Now, however, this case is all the way at the Supreme Court, and it's about way, way more than just whether to reinstate a power sector rule or not. To explain this, frankly, very confusing situation, I called on Jennifer Hijazi, who's covering West Virginia v. APA for Bloomberg Law. She explained how the justices may use this case to overturn a landmark ruling from just 15 years ago and about how this all got started in the first place. So Trump's affordable clean energy rule was the replacement to the Obama-era clean power plan, which proposed more sweeping regulations for carbon emissions from power plants. So the ACE rule shrunk the scope of that regulation to what can be limited inside the fence line of facilities rather than like a sector-wide approach. So that the ACE rule was sued heavily by states, health groups, green groups, and ultimately was tossed completely early last year, giving Biden what would have been a clean slate to craft new standards. But now this is where we get to my confusion or under, misunderstanding. So the the case originally started as you know a challenge saying that the the ACE rule that was struck down should not have been struck down. Uh, the Trump administration's rule should should still be in place, but it seems like it's gotten the scope of the case has gotten much bigger. But now that it's at the Supreme Court, what happened there and how did it, the scope expand? OK, yeah. So this this is where EPA and other petitioners say things get murky and hypothetical. So this petition was filed in response to the D.C. Circuit striking down the East rule. But when the court did that, it also struck down the basis that states and coal companies used to challenge Obama's clean power plan rule. So namely, what can be considered the best system of emission reduction under the Clean Air Act? So Trump's rule kept that baseline inside the fence line for facilities. Obama's rule called for, you know, outside the fence line sector-wide changes. So this petition is addressing that scope of regulation, trying to draw lines around what agencies have the authority to do to regulate these emissions. Meanwhile, 
there is no current rule on the book yet for this administration. So respondents are like, why are we suing over a rule that was never implemented and rules that have yet to be released? Right. But now it seems like because the the D.C. Circuit issued such a sweeping ruling, now it's being challenged at the Supreme Court and that sweeping ruling could sweep in the opposite direction. Uh, and it sounds like based on what you've been reporting and, and you know, what the, the, the case, I guess, what the briefs have been saying, we could potentially have a situation where the Supreme Court could rule in the other direction and strip the executive branch of its reg- authority to regulate greenhouse gases full stop. What's going on here? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Definitely the worst case scenario for EPA. Um, Massachusetts v. EPA said that, you know, greenhouse gas regulations do indeed fall to that, to, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency. What's at issue in this case is the scope of that authority. So what this case could potentially do is cut off administrative ability to regulate greenhouse gases in a way that actually makes a difference toward meaningful emission reductions in a country with outsized contributions to planet warming emissions. So yeah, like Massachusetts VPA may not get overturned. I don't think that's on the likelier end of things, you know, the worst case scenario we were talking about, but uh, stemming regulation authority would make it harder to regulate under that authority that Mass v. EPA granted. And let's talk about Massachusetts v. EPA uh, a little bit, just so we are both on the same page. You know, that's, of course, a very famous decision from the Supreme Court back in 2007. And it said that the EPA not only can regulate greenhouse gas emissions, but that it must uh, through the Clean Air Act. Is it fair to say that Massachusetts v. EPA kind of laid the groundwork for the way that the federal government regulates greenhouse gas emissions throughout the entire country? Is I mean, was it that fundamental? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's it. That case granted EPA its authority to even issue standards on greenhouse gas emissions. So I, I think a lot of court watchers that are really concerned about climate are watching any type of climate case GHG case that gets up to the high court very, very, very closely because of that authority. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. 
Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And one of the things that you've been reporting on, uh, and I think a lot of other people have been looking at, is this uh, question of the major questions doctrine. Uh, that could be a real big issue here. And I get the sense that that's this idea, this sort of uh, judicial philosophy that if Congress wants a federal agency to do something, it will explicitly state that in a law. It won't, you know, be vague about it. Do I, is that right? Is that Could that come into play here? Yeah, this is I mean, this is definitely a case that uh, some folks are worried that are really going to bring up major questions in a pretty major way, as it were. But um, yeah, so it major questions is the idea that courts won't defer to an agency's interpretation of statute if Congress didn't explicitly is particularly um, with issues that are of vast economic and political importance um, if Congress has not explicitly given that authority. So this is, you know, one of those issues that kind of falls into, does the agency have authority here? Do we give them deference on what they say the statute says kind of thing? Right. And it's important here because the agency, when it was, you know, developing its its regulations, was using the Clean Air Act. It was saying, you know, greenhouse gas emissions are an air pollutant. And through the Clean Air Act, we have the authority to regulate that. But of course, the Clean Air Act was written in the 70s when we barely or maybe didn't know that greenhouse gas emissions were a problem. And so I guess that's that's how the major questions doctrine comes into play here, right? Right. So um, what are you hearing from the folks who are watching this case closely? Uh, you know, which way are they predicting that the winds are, are going to blow here? There are six Republican appointees on the Supreme Court. So I have to imagine that, you know, the petitioners here like their odds. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I've a lot of folks I spoke to were pretty surprised they even took the petition at all, again, because we don't have a rule yet. Like, yeah. And, you know, since the clean power plan isn't even on the playing field anymore. So the fact that they took up the authority question is is really concerning for a lot of folks, is especially anxiously watching Biden's kind of like slow wading into meaningful climate and climate justice policy. And then a, in combination with a pretty stalemated Congress. And that's a good point. I, and I, I forgot to mention that we didn't even get into this whole issue of standing. Like the, the petitioners here are, you know, kind of red states that are are you know pro fossil fuel development um but they're trying to save a, a a rule here that's not even on the books like who's what is their injury what is what is, how are they being harmed by the current status quo it's like that's that's another thing that, that's an issue here is like do they even have the right to sue Right. And that I mean, that is certainly something that's been in every respondent brief and amicus, you know, that's come out in support of 
support of, you know, the EPA side of things, but they are saying that they will be harmed by a sort of like sector-wide approach to, you know, massively changing the face of how utilities run uh, through administrative regulation. But it sounds like the folks that you're talking to are saying that the fact that the court even is taking up this case and is even hearing this case is is itself a sign of which way they're going to they're going to rule. I, I I don't know if I can even read the tea leaves on how a justice is going to rule in this kind of situation. I mean, I few others I spoke to are at least, you know, in terms of possible outcomes here, somewhat hopeful that this could lead to some kind of regulatory certainty or, you know, move to finally put this issue to bed and just draw boundaries on what can and cannot be done in this realm. To be honest, I don't think I'm, – I'm not sure what to expect here. I think people are just anxiously watching and some folks are pretty worried. Yeah. Finally, um, let's talk about what would happen if, you know, the court rules uh, in favor of the petitioners here and strips the EPA of a lot or most or all of its climate regulatory uh, authority. What would the future look like? In that scenario, I mean, would we? It would essentially be up to Congress to, you know, regulate greenhouse gases if it should want to. I mean, is is am I interpreting that right? Would Congress have to sort of pass new laws to to regulate greenhouse gases? I mean, yeah. I mean, under the the you know EPA's worst case scenario, as we discussed before, completely worst worst case cuts off Biden's ability to regulate greenhouse gases at all. One tier down, it ties his hands pretty significantly for meaningful reductions. With Congress then in charge of picking up that slack, I think we can likely predict how that would play out. I think Build Back Better wrangling was pretty much our early taste of that. In other, in other words, that that Cong- yeah, that we, like Congress has no appetite to to really or no ability, no consensus to pass new climate laws. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean. There's definitely appetite, sure. Among many, many lawmakers, there's appetite to move forward on climate. But yeah, exactly. Ability to get the job done, a different story. Wow. All right. Well, uh, the oral arguments, they're going to be really interesting. Maybe we'll get kind of a preview on uh, where the justices are thinking and how they view this case. Uh, But uh, until then, thank you so much, uh, Jen, for coming on the podcast. And after the arguments, we'll have you back and uh, we'll talk about how it went. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use a pretty easy to remember handle. It's just at environment. I'm at David B. Schultz. If you want to chat with me, that's B as in Brian, which is actually my little name. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Brian Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Rebecca Baker and Chuck McCutcheon. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.
Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.